just making a reveal. Making a reveal. Welcome to the 43rd episode of Rank and Review, Creature Features 2 featuring Dorian Brady. As usual on Rank and Review, you will expect spoilers and coarse language, but what are you going to do? I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the podcast and invite you to check out our Facebook page and check out the website itself at rankandreview.ca. My name's Larry Parsons, I'm your host and I'm Canadian, and thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm glad I just I hit the, I hit the button just in time for that. That was perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so we're talking about the 43rd episode Damn. of Rank and Review right now. That's exciting. Um, and I've got my dear friend Dorian here with me, Dorian Brady. Um, she's a storyteller. She's a dancer. She's a multitasker. Um, but I think of her basically as a sex object. Um, Dorian. Mission accomplished. Dorian. Thank you so much for doing my podcast. For doing your podcast. podcast. Um, we go go into the Wayback Machine, actually, you and I. We've known each other quite a while now. Well, linear time, yeah. Um, I think it's got to be, what, a dozen, 15 years, somewhere in there? (laughs) How old's your son? (laughs) My my eldest turned eleven recently, which I'm still having trouble getting my head around. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we uh, we work together in the service industry, <clears throat> and we work together in the dinner theater industry, and uh, and the movie industry, I guess. And the movie yeah. industry briefly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have these six creature features that I wanted you to have a look at. Um, and look, I did. I kept them for almost two years. I'm trying to remember now <laughs> if I force-fed you these, this selection or if you picked them. Uh, I picked these. What, what's the attraction? <clears throat> is that, like, if you're watching a horror movie, is that where you tend to go? Like a monster movie over a slasher movie? or a, uh, I, didn't, I didn't really see it as, a mo- like, a monster movie. I saw it more as a thriller. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was the suspense that a lot of these sort of feature that I think is what drew me. Right. So. <clears throat> well, uh, I'm calling this one Creature Features 2, but um, if we can come up with a good subtitle too, let me know. I was trying to think of some sort of theme that I could mine in all of these, but nothing immediately has come to mind. There are some similarities that we shall discuss, but mm-hmm. uh, where? what's your position on horror as a rule? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you graced me with a gift. You gave me a, a, a zombie pirate mask signed by Sir George Romero. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yes. That, that's not the first time you've given me an amazing zombie gift. You also gave me a a, a, a signed zombie poster from Max Brooks. Yeah, Max Brooks. You're like you're like my zombie <laughs> dealer. <laughs> you, you, you always hook me up with good zombie paraphernalia. <laughs> well, I think that's because you were my dealer initially. Yeah. I mean, you got me onto Max Brooks. I was actually babysitting your son when yeah. I first read World War Z, and or Zed, I guess, depending on where you are in the world. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, and just the opportunity to do zombie films, the first zombie film I ever worked on, was uh, Super 8 with you. You played my boyfriend. Yep. So, I mean, you know, I think that I just automatically 
I should I link to Zombie Milk Run at the website. I'm sure it's still up there, right? I think it is, yeah. 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 Nice. It was my acting debut. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, let's talk about the six movies that we're gonna we're gonna discuss this this fine evening. Let's light this candle. Um, <clears throat> to continue my ongoing discussion of uh, John Carpenter, we recently did an entire episode dedicated to John Carpenter, um, but we're gonna talk about one of his high watermarks, at least in my estimation, mm-hmm. um, the his er- as well. <laughs> yeah, the early '80s remake of The Thing, which was unfortunately demolished at the box office by E.T. Yeah. Everybody wanted to go see the friendly, cute Haley, and nobody wanted anything to do with this one when it first came out. <laughs> they didn't want to see the counterpoint. <laughs> um, and that's this one's all dealing with, with all exclusively men in a remote location, locked in with this really challenging adversary. I did notice it was but, a sausage party. Yeah, if that's not enough testosterone for you, we're going to follow that one up with Predator. Mm. <laughs> yep. Um I actually felt like my voice lowered a few octaves just while I was watching the movie. (laughs) I have a manlier handshake now because Dutch. Exactly. It's it's pretty hardcore. (laughs) But in its own right, sort of an 80s classic, I think. I think watching it, your pecs start to flex just sort of without noticing it. So, yeah. uh, It inspires that. It's Schwarzenegger envy, I guess. guess. Hey, Ventura as well. Yeah, two two senators we got there. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fighting an alien. Who would have known? A really interesting and quite strange creature features from overseas called uh, the host. Yeah, that one was a surprising choice actually. Yeah. Um, it, at the time, I'm sure it's been eclipsed since. It was one of the biggest box office hits overseas. I think it still is. Yeah, it's it's stands pretty well. Um, here's a sentimental favorite for Larry. Um, in the early '90s, we were given Tremors. From the director of Pluto Nash, <laughs> Tremors. Um, wow, he's gonna need to buy a bigger <laughs> hat for that feather. Yeah. Um, I have I have a lot of affection for it, um, and I think that it is a, a cult movie in its own right. This is another oh, one that I don't remember making a lot of noise when it came out, but everybody seems to know Tremors. Oh, you know? for sure. Um, and then we're gonna go a little bit more low budget with uh, this film called Splinter. Um, I'm always on the side of people who are doing ambitious horror movies with no money. Mm-hmm. That's something I can really close <laughs> to your heart. Get, get behind. And last but not least, and I thought this was a nice counterbalance to the the thing. <clears throat> Let it out. It's going to be okay. Sorry, got a frog <clears throat> in my throat. <laughs> As a nice nice counterbalance to the thing, um, the descent, which is a bunch of British spelunkers, exclusively females. Who, taco party. Yeah, they taco party. Well, but who uh, who goes spelunking in the wrong cave? Oh, that just um, sounds like lesbian porn going wrong. I think this is a pretty high quality list of, of creature features in my in my estimation. But um, we may not stuff. we may not agree on all of it. But um, the first creature features I did was with uh, Lee Beckman. I think it's like episode eighteen or nineteen. And it was it had some good stuff in it. But uh, I think that you got. The great stuff. You got the great list here, so... Uh, sorry, Lee. <laughs> sorry, Beckman. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Dorian, before we get started? Um, where's spay the and neuter your pets. <laughs> <laughs> and where's the Kahlua? Yeah. Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live. Inside. 
where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? We can beat one of those things! Um, so, I'm curious, where do you stand on John Carpenter? I love him. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> this is why you and I get along so he well. He is <laughs> amazing, and when he's looking for his next wife, <laughs> I will be in the queue. So. Oh, you'd be in good company there, actually. Um, yeah, well, uh, I think that it, the I'm already out of the John Carpenter closet. I've dedicated an entire uh, episode to uh, basically kissing his ass and <laughs> plugging his new album. He did just drop an album of music called Lost Themes you can buy. Um, the fact that he does so much of his own soundtrack stuff and he gets, like, lambasted for it, yeah. I love. I love that he does that, that there's, like, just... It may be the same five notes, yes, but yeah. you know, Queen did that for Flash Gordon. So. Different directors have sort of different stamps that they put on the movies. Either an actor that they like to use, or just a, a specific, I know, aesthetic. You know, some stronger than others. I mean, you're not going to confuse Wes Anderson with anybody else, but. Part of the thing about John Carpenter that I love is that he does so much. He's not mm. just the director. Usually he's got a way in, in the screenplay. Usually he's contributing to the music. He's a producer. Like He's, he's all over He's got thing. a vision, and what I really like that he's willing to take risks on it. And it, and it you know, sometimes he sa- like suffers for it. I mean, with The Thing, a lot of people panned it. Yeah. And he considered it like his greatest triumph and his lowest point, you know? So, I mean, like he's taking risks and I I really admire that because you can be like in a genre, but he somehow created his own genre. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Like he goes sci-fi and drama and all this stuff. But they're all John Carpenter movies. Yeah. And they're all very definitively John Carpenter. Yeah. And I don't think this is an exception. It's in a way, this seems like a little bit of a more grown up, serious Carpenter. Um, It seems like some of his movies, he lets the goofy out a little bit more than others. And uh, other ones, he'll tighten the valves. This mm-hmm. one and like Prince of Darkness, you know, he, he sort of Focused. is trying to be a little bit more seriously minded. I want to scare you. And he kind of seems to understand if I wink at you too much, if I joke too much, that's going to take <laughs> away from the scares. Well, didn't he sort of say that that was part of like an overarching trilogy was Prince of Darkness? Yeah, and, and, and stuff? the... the uh... In the, mount, in the Mouth of Madness. Right, I always right. want to say In the Mountains of Madness, but it's In the Mouth <laughs> of Madness. Uh, it's sort of three apocalyptic-themed movies, but mm-hmm. that's about it. Like they, they all deal with a potential end-of-the-world scenario. That's yeah. about the only sort of connective tissue of them. Well, they're stark, right? Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't know. I, I really like that, and I like that he sort of, how he approaches them. It came across just in this film so well because, like how you said, it's end-of-the-world sort of scenario. Yeah. But it's like, what would people react? In our pardon me, how would people react to that? So, a little bit of context before we get into the review. Um, obviously, his big hit was Halloween. At this point, he mm-hmm. followed it up with a you know well financed um, and reasonably well received movie called The Fog. But it wasn't the monster hit that uh, 
that Halloween was, and it didn't, you know, further light the the fire of well, John Carpenter, new genre genius on our hands, right? Um, and at the time, horror remakes weren't really a thing. Where like nowadays, we expect every horror movie that you can think of to be remade. Um, it, there was no sort of stink on the you know horror remakes. So the idea of dusting off this old classic, which is uh, based off of a short story um, called "Who Goes There," which is written by, according to <laughs> IMDb. <laughs> Uh, John W. Campbell Jr. Um, the interesting pr- thing about the premise, we have a bunch of men working in some sort of science <coughs> station in the South Pole. It's never really made clear exactly what they're studying there. Mm-hmm. Um, Snow. Probably. Yeah, they're they're living together, and they're obviously sort of locked into this winter environment for a long time. Um, they, you know, there's an element of cabin fever and familiarity amongst the group. Um, a very strange incident happens at the camp. A dog is being chased down by a helicopter that's firing wild shots at them. She injures one of the men on the ground just accidentally. Um, friendly fire. Friendly fire incident. Um, all of these people who come down to the camp chasing the dog are killed in self-defense. And the dog is there alive and they have to try and figure out what the hell happened here. Um, as the story progresses, we understand they had very good reason to try and kill that dog. Because yeah. the dog is not a dog at all. Um, because this creature is able to mimic anything that it comes into contact with. And uh, you get both angles played really well here. You have the sort of toothy, very physical, very drippy, slimy special effects. And then you've got the psychological suspense of, who is this person I'm talking to? Mm-hmm. Are they who they say they are? Who goes there? Um, Dorian, what do you think of the thing? I What I really liked about it was, it was the first film of the selections that you gave me that I watched and I think it really set the tone for all of them because it had that suspense. I mean you don't see the drippy gooey thing until almost an hour into the film and so the build-up and the terror is real it's tangible because they are in this isolated outpost they only have each other to rely on but they can't rely on each other you know like that I think was more terrifying to me that when you finally do see what it is and you're like, okay, that's an actual thing. We now sort of have a target, right? But then the target kind of evaporates because it could become anyone. I mean, that, again, it was just so well done. This is the, <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, high watermark for physical prosthetic effects. Oh, I think the dead. only thing that touches it is Romero's Day of the Dead. As far as, like, makeup effects on camera there's no computer augmentation that are real visceral horrible like that you you that's crazy shit they're showing you but you kind of believe it because you're given no choice it's right there in front of you well and they mix it so well i mean like the autopsy scene and stuff with like the guts and everything just kind of being everywhere um that really grossed out the actual cast i bet except for brimley who grew up on a farm and he was like yep yeah whatever you know he was so used to it but that level of realism i think was really brought in the special effects and i mean that guy ron botten botten he was like rob botin yeah yeah. he was like 22 when he did that that was amazing and i mean like i have a personal interest in special effects makeup i've been learning how to do my own stuff and you know just to make something look like skin never mind something you've never seen before yeah. i mean like the detail on that gross dog lip <laughs> sort of bitey that like oh that was so gross but it was so detailed like it's almost beautiful to look at because of like just how much effort was put into it and for like what a cutaway shot yeah you know like that just i don't know that level of detail i uh 
watch this movie when I was too young, like I do with lots of, <laughs> with lots of horror movies. But I, I had this unfortunate thing happen to me with that movie in that I saw it when I was really a young kid, but I didn't know what the movie was. Oh yeah, I just had this rem- this this memory of this dog being put in a kennel with a bunch of other dogs, and then it just freaking Turn out on. and <laughs> tentacles shitting, shooting shitting, <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Temp- tentacles shooting out of it, you know, seizing <clears throat> the other dogs and sort of first sucking the dogs into it, and then sort of you know reforming into this mass writhing dog pile, <laughs> literally like. Uh, and it, it horrified me, but it also transfixed me. Like I could mm-hmm. not look away from it, and it was burned into my brain. And it wasn't until like I refound the movie when I was, you know, a little older. I think in my teens again that I realized, holy shit! Right? That's that this was, the was movie. a thing. Yeah. That was the movie. It was the thing that scared me so bad. Well, that would stick out. I mean, partially because where have you ever seen that before? You like, haven't. how can your brain even wrap around that? And so people that do the special effects for this stuff and come up with it, like, that just blows my mind. Yeah. They're like, all right, so we got, like, ten dogs in a pile, and it's gore, and all right, I'm going to make this happen. You know, <laughs> like, that just, I, I think that's so cool. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's visually striking. It's A really cool cast here, I think, too. Of course, we have Carpenter regular Kurt Russell. Uh, he, he was Snake Bliskin, and he was in <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. And he, also you know, movies I love. Yeah, um, you mentioned Wilfred Brimley, who I love. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he in need of a last name, Keith David. <laughs> <laughs> um, Richard Mazur. There's just a lot of cool character actor faces that 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 we know, and sort of younger in their career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the dynamic that it's all men. I like that there's not some side romance story or some like bullshit typical side plot where somebody needs to get rescued. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of. It's kind of interesting. They kind of need to get rescued. That's kind well, of what they're doing. Well, they themselves need to get <laughs> yeah. rescued, but they, you know... Like a literal rescuing. Somebody's, some maiden fair is not in some cave that needs You're to be right. rescued. You're right. There was a distinct lack of fainting and <laughs> yeah, swooning. Yeah, indeed. And they have no choice but to deal with this problem that's put in front of them. The idea of just leaving doesn't... At first, it's, it's, it's impractical as they have no means of leaving. And secondly, when they find out that this thing, if it gets to a populated area, will devour the world mm-hmm. very rapidly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah. And how do, you, how do you face off against these guys? Once you know that the, this creature can mimic something absolutely perfectly, mm-hmm. um, like, how can you trust everybody and it's amazing in a way like it didn't just a few of them are actually killed by each other but for the most part the monster does a lot of the work mm-hmm. um and you know it's psychologically very rich you know i think that the starkness of sort of where they are like it's literally an outpost right i mean it's you already have life. this sort of like they could have been on the moon you yeah. know that sort of thing and i i really like that and i like that um as a result, I mean, just any little interaction has so much more weight to it. Right. Um, like, especially with how the movie ends when it's, it's just kind of a standoff and it boils down to this survival. And that's, like, the heavy theme throughout it. I mean, it starts off with the dog thing. I'm right. using heavy quotation marks here. Running, it's just trying to survive, right? It infects other people because that's how it continues. And so just sort of at the very end where... It comes down to, like, do I get rescued or do I stop this thing? Or, you know, like, fuck it, I'm going to have some scotch. <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. like, you sit there and just, like, it's... I can't help but wonder if that wasn't part of the reason it was initially not successful. Mm-hmm. Because it's another, another one of Carpenter's really nihilistic endings. He doesn't tie things up with bows. Yeah. And, I mean, like, 
That's... would be it would be one thing if we knew that Kurt Russell's character was dying and he had definitively defeated this evil. Mm-hmm. But they don't even give us that. Childs has returned. Everybody else is dead. Child returns to the campfire. We have no explanation, really, as to where he's been other than he was changed by the creature. But Kurt Russell's in no position to do anything about it at this point. So they sit down and they pour a glass and wait to freeze to death. Mm-hmm. If one of them's a creature, which I think we kind of have to assume... Presumably, someone's going to show up and find them in the ice, and this whole thing is going to start again. Well, even Carpenter sort of left, like, he wanted to leave it that way, but there's now incongruous accounts of the actors and of him on what they've said is actually happening, right? Yeah. Well, I've heard he told both of the actors that they were the thing, right? <laughs> Just as I've also of... heard that he's like, I don't know, I wasn't sure, and yeah. then, oh, it was totally that guy, because if you look at the breath, and mm-hmm. then the actors were like, we had no oh, concept of that. There's YouTube videos so. that go into this very deeply. Um the 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 nerd debate highly favors. Are you gonna get theme. nerdy on me on your podcast? Nerdy. I'm gonna get nerdy on this nerdy podcast. The nerds seem pretty agreed that that Childs is is the alien at this point, but the movie doesn't say yes conclusively that it is or it isn't, and that's a good choice, I think. Well, it's interesting because there was a game based on this as well that came out early 2000s, and John Carpenter said it's canon, and in it, Childs freezes to death. And Kurt Russell was saved. And, like, I found this just randomly when I was looking it up because I'm like, you know, I'm coming across all of these incongruous accounts. And then not only that, um, but then it's refuted, like, by other people saying that it couldn't have been Childs because he has his earrings still in. And the prequel says that everything, when it replaces a person, like fillings and... But that's tricky when you start talking about... <clears throat> about prequels, about right? remake. But right? I mean, you know, if those are the original... Yeah, it, it, it gets gray. And I, I kind of like that it leaves it gray. Yeah. And so once people, like, you know, start retroactively saying things are canon, I kind of throw my hands up in the air. Yeah. And then, uh, but I mean, I like that it sort of... Well, it's when the certainly a good way it, for Carpenter to... Sell some more units of the video game and make a few extra bucks. <laughs> uh, and I'm not it's true. My him. future husband does need to make more money <laughs> Absolutely. to keep me in a lavish lifestyle that I will soon expect. Could that be the next thing I ask for you to bring signed to me then, since you're doing this for me? <laughs> Could you bring me a signed article? I don't know, some of your underwear signed by John Carpenter would be very nice. <laughs> oh, so you're assuming I wear underwear. So. <laughs> that was my first mistake. Fallacy. Um, I do have to pick up, uh, point out one thing, which was pointed out to me when I showed this movie to a friend of mine, your, your friend in mine, Paxton Francis, and I have to sort of uh, thank him and not thank him for this, because <laughs> now every time I watch the movie, it does kind of sting a little bit, but why were they so well armed? They're, they're <laughs> well, it's a research outpost, right, that was funded the by South the military, Pole. wasn't it? Well, we don't know what they were studying. Maybe it was some top secret shit, but like, they're at the South Pole, like a penguin might attack them, but there was no reason for them to be really that heavily armed. The only thing that it would make sense that they would use those weapons on would be each other. One of them would go batshit crazy over the winter and, and kill the others or something, but um, it is a little strange that they're all these scientists are so well armed. They don't seem like paramilitary dudes. They don't seem badass with it, but... Uh, I still think that, I mean, my my sort of observation was it was a military outpost, and yeah. if they were to get funding, if you know anything about, like, seeking of grants, because that's right, we're breaking it down to this level. We're getting real. So if you want to, like, look at grants and where people are getting funding from and stuff like that, I could see it being funded by the military, because, hey, okay, maybe go stake a claim down there, and uh, we'll, we'll fund it, we'll give you some of the stuff you need, and, you know, there's some Norwegians that aren't too far away that have been researching and digging stuff up, so, you know, maybe be prepared for that.
that. That's how I could see it. Yeah. As again, yeah. looking for logic they in a monster film. They don't give us the explanation. <laughs> yeah. We we have to sort of supply it ourselves. I kind of yeah. like that though. That you're kind of dropped in it, especially with how it starts. The fact that it starts out, you're like, what the hell's going on? It's like, and they're going after this. Like, I just I like that. You have to slowly. Um, figure out what's going on, just um, like they have to. A lot of people, especially nerds, uh, <laughs> will like uh, really like want to have everything explained. They want that piece of exposition. And if they had every little piece of exposition in the movie, first of all, the movie would be three hours long, and it, mm. secondly, it wouldn't be as good, right? Um, I, one more scene I want to talk about, and I know we've kind of been going on and on about the thing, but I think it's awesome. Um, the blood test sequence. Yeah, actually, I think that's what sold John Carpenter on making it. Yeah, he was just like that. It, to me, it, it was so believable. It's like the logic behind it, which I really like. Like you mentioned before, that you know, it's all these guys and they're all working together and stuff like that. And I love that they sort of have a logic process on, like you know, even when Blair's freaking out and like you know, destroying things. Yeah. The first time I sort of watched it analytically, I was like, "Oh, he's doing that so it won't get away." It makes sense. He's he crazy. A- he's kind of lost his shit, but his decision to destroy the communication equipment. Is kind of smart. <laughs> and then even in the end, like, you know, or sort of finding out, like, it was for other motives or yeah. whatnot, because he's trying to f- Well, I don't whatever. believe Blair is one of the things <clears throat> when they lock him up. Uh, at some point while he's locked up, the thing pays him a visit. But, but, but yeah. I don't think he's changed until after that point. But, but I mean, like, I, what I liked about that so much was that, you know, this thing is trying to survive. It's got, like, the most base instinct to survive. And then there's this character that's looking at things logically. How can I contain this? Even if it means basically blowing himself up. Yeah. Like, I just... that. That so um, goes against like human survival instinct, and that's why at the very end of the film, where it's just the two of them sitting there together, and like just kind of, I guess we waited out. Yeah. Again, it goes back to that base survival instinct, and that's what I really liked about this is that it almost came down to like the most human instinct. Um, so I, I just thought it was really cool. McCready, the Kurt Russell character. McCready. McCready. Uh, <laughs> they. Uh... Have good reason to suspect him because this creature is. If it wasn't trying to make McCready look like the bad guy, it did everything it could. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find out one of the people that was accusing him is subsequently has been changed, but he's been basically banished to the outside and had to force his way back in and is holding the entire group uh, at bay with a fucking flamethrower. And he has more movies up, need flamethrowers. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's come up with this great idea. He, he's he intuits that every part of this thing is alive. So if he takes a blood test from everybody and he puts something hot to the blood, the blood should react. Mm -hmm. That sequence, isolated by itself, is an amazing sort of centerpiece to an already very strong creature feature movie. It's scientific logic, you know? Like, how can I rule something out? He has a hypothesis and he moves forward to prove it. And lives are at stake. Like I just, and he, but he does it so like methodically, like a little crazy. Obviously, he, like you said, he's wielding a flamethrower. But and he kills one of the guys. He oh yeah, he blows the guy's brains out. He has out, to. He was innocent. Uh-huh. He just decided to move at the wrong time, and it was high stakes. Sorry, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you're out the game. Yeah, like I said, it's like that one guy that was like you know destroying shit to keep it there. You know, I mean, like it's just. They knew that it was bigger than them. Our main character blew the brains out of somebody who we found out was innocent, and we still liked him. Whoops! Yeah. (laughs) So, So, I mean, bravo. Uh, uh, It may just be Kurt Russell's steely blue eyes, you know, that we got lost in together. Big, big love for the thing. We are rescue team, not assassins. Now... What are we gonna do?
in a part of the world where there are no rules. We pick up their trailer, the chopper, run them down, grab those hostages before anybody knows we were there. What do you mean, we? Deep in the jungle, where nothing that lives is safe. You lose it here. You're in a world of hurt. Showtime, Jen. Knock, knock. An elite rescue squad. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> is being led by the ultimate warrior. We need the best. That's why you're here. But now... What's got Billy so spooked? There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. They're up against the ultimate enemy. Holy mother of God. Nothing like it has ever been on Earth before. She says the jungle just came alive and took him. We cannot see it. No blood, no bodies. We hit nothing. But it sees the heat of our bodies and the heat of our fear. Whatever it is out there, it killed Hopper. And now it wants us. It kills for pleasure. <clears throat> okay, so 1987. Uh, the year I turned 11. <laughs> um, that was a very good year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my son's 11 years old, and if he watched The Predator, I'm sure I would have to take him to the hospital. He would be so frightened by it. But uh, I remember... He's just inching up to Doctor Who episodes, so yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing this as a kid, watching Arnold throw the machete through the dude and stay shh, dick around, <laughs> and uh, thinking, this is awesome! <laughs> he had lived that line, too. Times have changed. Um, I watched it when I was really young, too, yeah. actually, and I remember I I watch it maybe once a year, yeah. at least. It's a really fun movie. Uh, John McTiernan, the director of this, uh, had a really good run. Um, apparently he spent some time in jail. He has had some some trouble in recent years. I'm not exactly sure what his problems were, but here's some of the movies that he's directed uh, over and above Predator. Okay. The original Die Hard and Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third Die Hard, or the two good Die Hard movies. Um, the Hunt for Red October. Oh, that one's such a good Which one. is such a good movie. And um, The Thirteenth Warrior, which for a movie that's working around Antonio Banderas, is actually pretty watchable. Um, he's a very strong technical director with a particular gift for action sequences. And uh, he's really good at sort of balancing character and, you know, gunplay or whatever. Is he action. trying to, like, live his own movies and that's why he's had some recent run ins with the I movie? wish I knew more of the specifics, but it wouldn't surprise me that it had something to do with a pile of cocaine somewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't speak on this. I'm and a some fan. rotund asses. Yeah. <laughs> I'm generally speaking a fan of John McTiernan. He has a mm. couple of infamous bombs under his belt as well. He's responsible for Last Action Hero and uh, uh, Sean Connery Rainforest Adventure <laughs> called The Medicine Man, which is... Completely forgotten by history, except for by me, apparently. I saw it. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it. Um, I'll so go to the corner now. We have another We have another alien in this movie. The movie opens with a spaceship sort of breaking the atmosphere of, of Earth. And, um... and breaking convention. <laughs> because, I mean, I don't think we've really seen many movies that have started out that way. It's, it's just taken as fact. Hey... Alien. Yeah. Well, it actually mirrors almost identically the opening of The Thing, the movie we just talked about. Mm -hmm. In The Thing, we see the spaceship hitting Earth like thousands and thousands of years ago. The ship was buried in the ice for a really long time before it was discovered. But yes, uh, what's interesting about this creature is that it has more of an intelligence than we're used to seeing. It's not like your traditional toothy monster whose only motivation is to eat you. Mm-hmm. 
The Predator is as implied by the the title, a hunter. Well, the other ones seem to sort of be based around survival, and this one it's for sport. Right. And I really, I like that angle. It takes trophies. It does, once it kills its victims, there's sequences of it up in the trees, you know, blowing the skin rituals. off of the skulls and keep looking at his skull saying, yeah, this is a good one. I'm going to put this on my mantelpiece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all sorts of cool, interesting technology on the creature. Oh, the technology is so cool. <laughs> I love 80s futuristic technology stuff. Yeah. It's just so neat. Like, they came up with a whole new language, actually, for it. Like, the fonts and everything like that, which I just, like, that level of detail is so cool. Um, a I little love... bit of a tech nerd there. Yeah, that's okay. I, I love The Predator. I'm going to dip my hand right now and say I love this movie. But I will also drop the caveat that I think that the second half of the movie is substantially better than the first half. It's of the movie. well, it's a different movie. Yeah, I mean, it starts out like a Vietnam flick. Yeah, you know, like, it, and it it's built up that way. Like even just the introduction of the characters. Well, here's our swarthy, you know, like leader, and here's a nerd. Look at those glasses. You know, like it's so. We have featured an, in one way, and then it becomes another movie. We have another bunch of dudes, but these are badass fucking military hard hard yeah. dudes who are not used to being in a losing situation. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting to see these guys, who are virtually indestructible and scared of nothing, finally confronted with something that they are actually not able to handle, <laughs> right? Um the basic story is they are given a bullshit story by Arnold Schwarzenegger's former, uh, you know, military buddy Carl Weathers Bromance. who who seems like he's uh bad news but in, as it turns out he's pretty armless anyway uh, the <laughs> he uh tells him that they need to get these hostages rescued when in fact he's it's a very political target they want to mm-hmm. get information uh and he's being a slimy CIA evil doing dude twist but he doesn't fully realize the danger he's sending them into. He fully believes that they're able to handle whatever is in front of them, but he doesn't understand that there's this creature in the woods hunting them. So well, upon... He's looking at it as their hired guns, right? They're yeah. going in and doing that. So he has no problem lying to them. But, I mean, once, you know, things get sort of cocked up, I mean... But Dutch, uh, our, uh, our hero, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's <laughs> not a hired gun. He's... Rescuer, right? Mm-hmm. He's here for the hostages, and he doesn't like being played. He doesn't have his men's lives so being risked. He's such a noble such person. Such a feeler. Um, the whole it's got layers. the crew is really interesting. Actually, um, some cool faces in there: Bill Duke, Jesse Ventura, Sonny Landham, um, and interestingly, uh, Shane Black, who at the time he's a writer, right? He's I mean, the he writer. Was... He's a, one of the first big million-dollar screenplay writers for Hollywood because mm-hmm. of. Lethal Weapon, and um, he co-wrote this one, and he co-wrote The Monster Squad, believe it or not. There I was love The Monster Squad. There was a string of movies in the 80s, and he was just this this high price, you know, mm-hmm. wonderkin. But he actually played... So they threw him in the jungle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure he probably wanted the part, right? I don't yeah. know if he's done other acting beyond this, but uh, it's just interesting that he's in the movie. He, uh, he plays Hawkins. It's not a huge role. You know, he's one of the first people to get taken out of the game, but... Uh, it's just kind of interesting to see. Um, but as I was saying with the first movie, it's typically, it's like commando action. It's mm-hmm. a cheesy Arnold Schwarzenegger shoot 'em up And if you like cheesy Arnold Schwarzenegger shoot Which up, I do. That, that's fine. But it if, sucks you in that way, though. I mean, yeah. it really gets the pace going. But I can understand somebody who's like watching the movie, not 
knowing what's coming in the second act, thinking, I've seen this movie, I'm not as excited by it. Mm -hmm. uh, I really think it kicks it up another notch. Once they get over the initial, initial set up the action sequence, establish the badassery of our protagonists, mm -hmm. now set them up against a real, real opponent, you mm -hmm. know? So, yeah. But basically, that's the movie. They're trying. They're trying to get to their. They're out of the hot red zone to where they can be lifted out. But they're going to have to pass through this predator's territory. And the stakes are: if they get caught by it, they're going to get skinned alive or you know brutally killed. The demon who makes trophies of men. Yes. Uh, so I've already said where I am on predator. I'm a big fan. Where are you at, Dorian? I'm curious. Well, I was once almost late for a wedding because I was watching it again. Again. So <laughs> it's definitely um, up there in movies I like because because of that change, you know? Like, it's Vietnam-y. I like the guns. I like the helicopter stuff. I, I've just always really been into that stuff. And then it just... They get thrown off, like, you know, their asses. And, and just, like, the change. Um, even the guy, like, I'm the one that really knew what was going on the whole time. And you only needed to know when, what the hell? You know? Yeah. Like, and then I, I just... I, I think that's so cool because it's it's totally unexpected. All of a sudden you realize, like, they're being picked off. And you, you sort of walk with them along that realization. Yeah. Um, as they're looking around, like, in this crazy jungle. I mean, like, some place that they're experts in, you know? And then the predator, I mean, just that whole angle of, you know, he does it for sport and that it's a ritual and that it's been going on for how long? It's probably not the same predator, yeah. you know, I mean, like, cause the girl, she talks about, uh, sorry, the woman, yeah. she talks about how it's like this old story. Only when that, it gets very hot. On the hottest month. Yeah. yeah. On the hottest month this has happened. And like, you know, this demon comes out and. We, we all kind of knew about it, like it's been this legend. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that the legend comes from something. And then when just, I mean, how they sort of link it to aliens eventually in the whole, camp, like, series of it with Predator and, you know, it was hunting yeah. the aliens and stuff and it looks for, I mean, I just, I think that Once, that's... It gets, I mean, I, this this is just a Predator movie. When it gets a little bit more complicated when you get to the, you know, vagina mouth versus penis mouth uh, versus <laughs> Predator creatures. But, um... Again, I think that what makes him interesting is he's not here to take over the world. He's not here to eradicate the human race. And it's not that base of survival thing that I was talking about before. I mean, like, he's doing it for sport. I mean, it's the people that are fighting for their survival. And it goes, again, to such a primitive level. I mean, to the point where he's covered in mud and it somehow thwarts this crazy alien technology. Yeah. Which is a bit laughable. That's the only part that I sort of have any issue with. I think the, um, uh, the what they were trying to say is that it's, it, it registered your heat, your body heat. And by... Caking himself with this cold riverbed mud, he was harder to see from the predator. I think that's yeah. what they were going for. But uh, you could see trip wires. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just it was able. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. again, nerdy. And you can you can you can pull this if you want to pull some threads and pull this movie apart. You probably could. Why does it wear like the fishnet stockings? <laughs> this is sort of a weird, <laughs> weird choice. It's trying to distract you from getting to the chopper. <laughs> Get to the chopper. Oh, um, yeah. It's. Uh, what I really, like, yeah, again, fishnet stockings. It just feels more comfortable in <laughs> yeah. that way, you know? It comes from a place where it's not really judged, except for on how it kills, not how it looks. And I think that we can choice. learn something from that. It's a design choice. You can hang anything off it. It's easy. You know, yeah. whatever. But it's just funny. Um, 
once well, they're getting picked off one at a time, it, it is, like I've said, interesting to see these guys because they're not used to fighting a, a losing battle. And as it gets fewer and fewer of them, more of them just sort of become resolved. Sonny, the one, they're, they're sort of, uh, the guy who... They resolve, but they kind of, they kind of snap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just well, sort of like, I'm taking a stab. Yeah, he decides, well, I want to fight this thing with a machete. I want to see if it's going to go mano a mano with me because uh, I would rather not be shot. I would rather be able to go out fighting and at least get a few licks in before, <laughs> you know? Well, it's funny that it sort of almost came down to like a point of honor for him and then the predator does that later on when they do the hand-to-hand combat with Arnold you yeah. know I mean it's again it almost made me think like Klingon you know yeah. like with the whole my mighty honor and stuff like that and you get the feeling it observed them it obviously stalked them for quite a while and it mm-hmm. sort of understood that Dutch was the leader and you get the feeling that it made a point of saving him for last. Mm-hmm. And you also get the idea that because the, the, the woman the big game. they were taking along, she was clearly a uh, hostage. She was bound. She wasn't armed. She was not. That's how she survived the first time, though, right? That she figures, or they figure that she sort of got away. because yeah. she was unarmed. She wasn't a challenge. She was not worthy of hunting. So why would she be a target? Yeah. And I again, I think that that just shows like the single-mindedness of, of the predator. And, and they never say the predator I, won't kill the woman. You just intuit that, just be by its behavior, right? Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Well, he figures it out at one point, right? Where and he's like, he takes the gun from her. He's like, no, if you wanna, if you wanna live, I also think this is a come good... with me. If you no way, he's like, go go away from me if yeah. you wanna live, right? I think that's what it was. But I do think this is a good dividing line in the Schwarzenegger sort of movie career. In the early days of Schwarzenegger, when they're doing like Conan and Terminator, they're like, how can we use Schwarzenegger? He's mm-hmm. got a thick accent, but he, you know... He, well, they he, dubbed his voice from Conan. Yeah, they, they, he kicks ass, but there's, there's you know, a lot of issues to get over. And then there was like, well, it seems he can sell tickets, so it doesn't matter. So you get movies like Commando or Raw Deal or whatever. I think by the time he gets to Predator, he's actually got some legit skill in mm-hmm. front of the camera. He gives a performance. It's no longer just Arnold. I kind of believe Dutch... As simple as he is as a character, you know? Yeah, well, Dutch kind of has that winking at the camera sort of personality to begin with. I mean, like, you know, that ridiculously muscled, I'm your brother handshake thing that they do. I mean, like, that's totally like winking at the audience. And they just, it's cheese, pure schmaltz. And I love it because when all of a sudden he's like dealing with life and death situation, you can sort of see that humor come through again where he's like, you know, like, I don't even know how to word it anymore because it's, yeah, yeah. Well, but when we start, when we first see Dutch, he's like sunglasses and stogie and, and mm-hmm. bulging muscles coming off of the chopper, strutting. He's just like I'm. I am. I am man. I am testosterone. Mm-hmm. And by the end of him, he's like this beaten zombie. It's sort of a similar transition that John McClane goes through in 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 the <laughs> Die Hard movie. He starts off as handsome Bruce Willis, and by the end of the movie, he's a fucking zombie, right? Well, they. <laughs> They they actually sort of project that they've gone through so much, you know, like, and again, that goes down to acting chops. And I mean, like, even the manliest of men, these are their favorite movies because, yeah, I mean, like, it's brawn and beaten and stuff. But I mean, they kind of win because of smarts. And at the end of it, I mean, Dutch is willing to die to take this thing out. You know, I mean, he's just like, time time to kill the thing because it's going to keep doing this. And it came down to me or you and... So yeah, I just, I thought that was one of, it was a carrying theme with all these things. You got these monsters, these other whatever trying to kill people and stuff. And what will you do to sort of survive, right? Or at least take it out. It comes down to not even just your own survival, but just taking it out. 
This is an impossibly macho piece. I can't overstate that. There's a whole bunch of like pussy jokes at the beginning of it, and like uh, the the you know brothers fighting side by side that bromance relationship between mm-hmm. Bill Duke and Jesse Ventura. I'm gonna carve your name into him, brother. You know, uh, there's there's something very dude about this movie. And <laughs> that's true. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but there are people who that rubs the wrong. They way. weren't. <laughs> playing volleyball topless together, okay? So it's still a little bit better yeah, for that no, than Top Gun. Yeah, no, Top Gun went over the line, but that's, that's cool, too. You're um, right, though. That one scene with the two guys was very, like, goose! You know? Dude! <laughs> oh, God! I love me some Predator. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna jump overseas here for uh, an international hit, actually a huge box office success, um, called The Host, directed by Bong Joon Ho. Uh, this concerns a family that uh, is pitted against this chemically created monstrosity that's uh, living in the Han River. Um, Montesanto. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, this. Uh, Groves. Sort of odd fellow. You get the feeling like he's a little bit off. He's, I don't know if he's on the uh, autism spectrum or, or if he's just, you know, got dropped too much when he was a kid or if he's <laughs> just a little bit slow. But uh, he seems to be living a simple life of, you know, working in the food service industry, selling people squid legs by the beach. And he loves his dad and he loves his daughter and he's just a simple guy. Until the day... Working for his dad, kind of getting carried by his dad still. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. He sort of yeah. seems like a late star, late bloomer. <laughs> One day, a gigantic monster hops out of the water and starts killing people. And in the... As happens. As happens in monster movies. And in the middle of the fray, his his daughter is taken. It's dragged away by the creature. Absconded. And uh, everybody, of course, believes that she is dead. But the family is convinced, because they get a phone call from her, very brief though it is, that she's still alive. And they have to eschew the people who are covering up the catastrophe and the local authorities in order to try and hunt, find their their missing family member. And they sort of bond together. They were sort of broken beforehand, but they rebond in this quest. Um, I'm, so I'm making the movie sound a lot more straightforward than it yeah, is. Yeah, you are. <laughs> were we watching the same movie? <laughs> because I think that's both the good and bad thing about the host. Yeah. It very often, very rapidly and suddenly changes tones. You're, you're in one place, and then they radically shift you to another place, and they radically shift you back. I had to watch it more than, like, I had to watch it more than once, and I said that probably because the first time I was really drunk when I watched it. <laughs> What's going on? Um, but yeah, just, I watched it, and then I had to read up on it, because I didn't understand, really, the family dynamics. I didn't understand... Um, some of the context, and again, maybe this might have been because it is South Korean, so mm. that I like there there was a bit of a, a gap. Um, but it was it was it was jarring on how it switched sometimes, and then just additional sort of hurdles that they had to overcome. Like all of a sudden, now it's political, <laughs> and you know, like the army comes in, and then all this cover up, and then like you know, then it just it was it was 
strange and again maybe because it's coming from south korea that with all these other monster films it comes down to the very basic survival thing but here they're having to jump through all these hoops and then they have to thwart the police and the army and stuff to get to where they are and then there's like personal betrayal happening you know like it's just they're they're just tugging on your heartstrings but i couldn't follow it so it just it 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 really lost me in a lot of a lot of spots i think in a sort of superficial monster in the dark you know, hunting the creature or whatever. It does work. I I think the scene that sort of defines this movie as far as what's sort of interesting and and maybe overdone about it at the same time is the, quote, funeral sequence. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) The the ass kick? (laughs) All the victims of that huge catastrophe at the the river um, are basically being mourned at this one site. And the family goes there, and they see the placard, the place that represents their missing child, and they scream and howl and drop to the floor and contort and twist and fall all over each other and scream, and it's this really long sequence. And it went on so long that I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be emotionally affected by it, or actually be kind of laughing uncomfortably at the absurdity of it. Yeah. that's kind of true for lots of scenes in the movie. None more than that one, but... Uh, Again, is that cultural gap? Is that, like... I was trying to find um, a It's healthy to respond that way. I mean, I mean yeah. I'm not judging the character choice, but... Oh, I'm judging hardcore, because <laughs> I, I when I don't understand, it angers Suppress it, it all. Me. Just push, push, um, <laughs> push those bad feelings down, Dory. <laughs> yeah, into a tight little ball. Um, but yeah, for me, it was interesting because while that's all happening i mean like it is it's a public display it's a way of of grieving and getting it out and stuff like that so i got culturally maybe that's exactly what happens it reminded me maybe of like an opera at that point but it was it was absurd it became ludicrous because it was such a spectacle and then it it devolves in a crazy fight between these like you know there's this crazy monster thing out there eating people and then they're like punching it out on the floor and like it just sort of devolved to like obviously what they were feeling and it it was just like, I well I was reading up on it and apparently he, the one brother kicks the other one in the ass. Yeah. That wasn't in the script, so it made me wonder like what the hell was going on <laughs> on that scene when everybody's freaking out like, and even like and sometimes I find myself pulling myself out of the movie and just looking at it analytically, and I'm like what were those actors thinking? Where okay I'm gonna spend at least a good ten minutes crying for this scene. <laughs> yeah. Get it from different angles. All right, and scene, and they just drop into it, and it was, it was just, it was a spectacle to watch. And I, I again, it was a I little jarring for me to watch. I wasn't sure where I was going to land on the film. Like I was enjoying it superficially, but again, I was having problems. But I have to it's say, it's like watching several different movies sort of <laughs> yeah. crammed together in one. I mean, and I find this not uncommon watching movies from a, from a, that corner of the world. It, it do seem like Tale of Two Sisters. I found to be similar in that respect. <clears throat> scene to scene, tonally, you didn't know what to get. Not just plot wise, but tonally, you don't know what you're going to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the end of the movie genuinely surprised me. Oh, yeah. I was shocked that they did not successfully rescue the little girl, that she dies. Yeah. Like, I genuinely did not see that coming. To, to... That was a knife twist, too, because she's, like, cradling this other child yeah. and she sacrificed herself. And you're... I mean, even just to her scene, like, her, that could have been a whole movie on its own, I thought, because yeah. just of, like, her terror. But, you know, all of a sudden she had this boy to take care of and he wasn't much younger than her but you know like yeah. and just like 
the smarts. She lives in that cave with the creature. It, like it's it, it drags a bunch of bodies down there. It thought assumed she was dead too, but she woke up in this body drop. Some life food. <laughs> I think that the reason that uh, she lives as long as she does is because the other boy shows up. Once there's another boy there that she can take care of, then she's got something to do. But she had a purpose, yeah. And well, it just the she smarts was, that she had. It's yeah. kind of funny because like her dad just seems like space case, and then so obviously she's become resourceful under her own. Like you know her. Dad dad's not really taking care of shit um but yeah like the building of the rope out of the dead people's clothes yeah that was stark and i was just like i like you you're like she was when the creature vomits out all the bones tcob you know like she was freaking she she knew what she had to do and like even running up its back like that took heavy swinging balls she went through all of that only to die just seconds before she would have been rescued right yeah it was such an impact and um i really enjoyed that part because i didn't see wrenching i did not see it coming and in a movie like this i expected like that there was nothing that was gonna surprise me and that surprised me (laughs) i i was kind of coming at it from another angle i didn't know what was going on and stuff like that but you do you assume that like you know they've they've like, you know, railed against, you know, impossible odds, like the, the cons- quarantine of craziness. And yeah. which also, by the way, their whole how we're going to kill this monster with that Agent Yellow stuff that they throw out there. Oh, yeah, let's let's destroy this chemical monster with <laughs> some chemicals. And it kind of hurts it. But, you know, have to clear out this area. I don't want people to die. And all they're running around fine. Oh, that chemical that you know, didn't kill the monster. They're fine breathing it yeah, in. It, <laughs> it, it, it's not killing us either. Good, good deal. I, I don't yeah, hope we didn't super overpay effective. for this. <laughs> Needs but more research. Honestly, the movie ending the way it did, it, it was almost as shocking to me as watching like a Sandra Bullock rom-com that ended with her in a murder-suicide pact. You know, like it's just, what? What You should be happened? pitching those ideas. <laughs> exactly. Um, the other angle that I didn't quite fully understand was the whole government conspiracy around it. Like, that there was some plague being... They were... I, I didn't get what the cover-up... There was no way that they could cover up this monster. It was too big and real and on the news, right? And now we're going to drill into his brain because maybe there's virus there? Yeah. That, again, I, I had no clue on what the hell was going on it there. Or why seemed... it was even there. Like, I understand that crazy monster thing running around. Yeah, the army's probably going to get involved. You yeah. can't hide that. And the scene with the mass panic, that was probably well the most believable scene for me. Yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of the other movies we're talking about right now, um, they're fairly small casts. They're fairly isolated. This happens in a city. In the middle you of the city. You can't hide it. Yeah. And the people, the mass hysteria, they're idiots. You know, you're yeah. thinking that, but I'm like, would I react the same? I'd probably try and hide in that trailer like a lot of those people did, and they got freaking squished to death. Yeah. Like, I, the, the blood running down, I'm like, okay, I believe that. That's what happens with hysteria and yeah. stuff. But then, so the army coming in makes sense. But yeah, all of a sudden this... Why the cover-up? Why the needless cover-up? And why the blandly evil evil corporate sort of entity? Interesting, actually, we mentioned about this just before the review. Scott Wilson from The Walking Dead has a brief speaking role at the beginning of this movie as an evil American guy who insists they pollute the river. Pollute the river! That happened, though. You know that, right? Like, I I was joking before we started recording that... It's based on a true story, minus the monster part. That's actually something that happened, where an American doctor on an army base insisted that they dump all these chemicals down, and this guy was like, no, I don't want to do that. And he's like, you're freaking doing it. And they dumped it into the Han River. So he was actually charged with pollution of the river. Um, But he wasn't there. He got protected by the American government. 
And so the like the country and the people were just like, what the hell? How can we not even enforce our own laws? Well, and as so it played was... out, though, the governor ended up chopping his head off. So it all worked out. <laughs> yes. Thank God. <laughs> um, Thank you for wrapping that up nice and neat <laughs> for us, governor. Yeah. It's interesting. The other small, piddly sort of complaint that I would make, I just think it's the time that the movie was made, is that not all of the CG is amazing. You know what? I actually thought it was amazing. Yeah? Because I did. I considered the time, and I considered the technology, and it moved like how I would expect, because I have such, you know, personal yes. expertise with monsters and the movement. Um, but yeah, it was just like, I, it was so cool. Like when it was hanging from the bridge and just swinging, and I guess they dropped metal barrels to make the splash of the water look yeah. real. And like, I thought that was such a neat effect. And uh, I, I bought that part of it. Like I actually, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, a lot of people will probably criticize it, like, you know, after a year or two, CGI shows its age. But I thought it held up really uh, well. There were times where I said, I'm looking at CGI. But <laughs> again, I just called it part of the time. Um, the fact that you don't know where this movie is going and that you're not going <laughs> to, you don't understand totally where you are scene for scene, in a way is a complaint, but in another way makes it really interesting viewing. It was the subplots that confused me. And, you know, I think I'm a fairly intelligent individual, so I tell myself. Um, but yeah, like just some of the subplots I thought were unnecessary, confusing. Um, the archery thing yeah. was kind of... The sister happened to be an Olympic-level archer. That was helpful. Yeah, and then... Although, in crucial moments, she kind of drops the ball, too. And that, that was it. Like, you know, again, it's like, oh, finally, she's gonna... Nope, she's down. You know? like, she's it's just... cool under pressure at the Olympics, but when it comes to saving she, her No, she family, bailed. She oh, bailed at the Olympics, too. Oh, she right, sucked. She, yeah. So she's just constantly dropping balls left, right, or arrows, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, I mean, and, like, the brother's political past and how he knew how to survive like that was kind of came out of nowhere it's like oh he's a retired james bond or political you know insurgent or and then his friend's betrayal like because all of a sudden there's a bounty on their head like i was it really made me wonder if i was watching another film for a while Um, well and again i'll just go back to what i said just a moment like yeah you don't know what you can get scene to scene but in a way that that keeps it a little interesting to me um keeps you on your toes keeps you sharp I couldn't tell you where this movie was going, and in a way for me... When it ended, I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're eating rice. Okay. Perfection. A scorched outpost in the middle of nowhere. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How close? Maybe that's why Val and Earl... ...decided to leave town. Hey, hold up. That's Edgar Dean's. They just picked the wrong day to do it. Jeez. You guys better get the hell out of here. There's a killer on the loose. Who could be doing it? Is that a snake? I'll give you boy five dollars for this. Twenty. That's how they get you. They're under the ground. The year is 1990, and uh, I keep on seeing commercials on TV for this movie starring Kevin Bacon called Tremors, <clears throat> and uh, I'm begging my dad that I want to go see it, but I'm right on the cusp between that age group where uh, I still need my dad to get you with me even though I'm too old to go to the movie with my dad but I wanted to see it in the big screen because to me Tremors looked awesome I just had a good feeling about it when I heard <laughs> of it 
And my daddy took me to see this movie. And I fucking loved it in 1990. And I fucking love it in 2015. <laughs> I absolutely adore Tremors. Maybe more than it deserves in some respects. But for me, this is highly personal. I just, I just, I love the shit. I love the shit out of Tremors. The tone of it, like the balance between legitimate stakes and adventure of these crazy underground creatures and this really light, jovial sense of humor shouldn't work as well as it does. The feels are coming off you pretty hard right now. But it works <laughs> really, really well. And I could not have ever predicted that the meshing of Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward would be such a it potent was... thing, but they are Talk about awesome. bromance. Like, they're awesome. We have Their timing, they play so well off each other. Yeah. We have Val and Earl. They're basically these uh, handymen that work in this tiny little desert community that is uh, cut off between a valley and some mountains and has conveniently only one road of access. Yeah, there's rock and hard place. Yeah. So. <laughs> so we get introduced in the first half of the movie to all the colorful characters in the town, including, uh, most famously for this movie, Michael Gross, who was at that time playing against type for Family Guy, from Family Ties, and Reba McIntyre making her big screen debut. It's funny, he had actually just filmed the last episode of Family Ties before starting this. Yeah. For like a couple days or something. So that's an interesting switch. But he, and Reba McIntyre being... demanded to be in this movie. She actually asked for it. So nice. I was just like, yeah, that's an excellent way to start your acting career. And I wish I had that power. <laughs> but the patriarch of the Keaton family from Family Ties is like the nicest, mellowest, like... You know, gentle ex-hippie that you're ever <laughs> going to imagine. And in this movie, he, he plays... He has an elephant gun. <laughs> yeah. I love but that. He has a ridiculous arsenal in his basement. Oh. But they're they're that, that rare quality. They're like lovable rednecks. I wanted to be her growing up. Like that, oh, they're guns and all this. I just thought that was so cool. They're sur survivalists, yeah. right? Yeah. And I just, I really love that attitude. But I mean, they kind of all are. I mean, like it's a small town. There's 14 people, I think yeah. is what they say. Everybody knows everybody. And, Everybody uh, knows each other's business. Yeah, and um, we get introduced in that world really quickly, and we love Val and Earl. They have great banter to each other, and uh, we're introduced to this uh, student who's very conveniently to the plot studying uh, seismology, She's played by uh, this actress Finn Carter. I remember thinking that she was just so awesome in this movie and so charming, and I really got her as like a romantic lead. And I have seen her in nothing since. <laughs> uh, she, I looked up her credit. She has done TV and stuff. But uh, Finn Carter, I missed you. Where did you go, sweetheart? <laughs> she was so good in that too. I mean, like she played the smart and the cute sort of ingenue nicely. And um, what, what's really interesting is just about like the small cast. Again, small cast. Yeah desolate sort of isolated situation it almost played out like a play for me and maybe it's just the theater experience rearing its head but i was like this would be interesting to sort of transfer to a play stage because of like just how the people like how you said you're introduced to these two lovable rogues <laughs> played by yeah fred ward and bon jovi stunt double again <laughs> you would never think that those two actors would have such chemistry together but they nail it oh, not yeah. since moose and squirrel <laughs> Has been so surprised by a com comedic duo. I bet their hands were chapped from all the high fives they were giving each other. <laughs> high fives. Um, the basic premise of the monster that we're talking about uh, is a land shark, essentially. That was the premise, yeah. These creatures can travel under the dirt as fast as a shark can <clears throat> swim in water. They spit these tentacles out of their mouths. They grab hold of you, bite onto you, and suck you into the ground so you can be devoured alive. Mm-hmm. 
Good times. <laughs> I dedicated an entire episode to sharks. I think my, my fear and love of sharks has been made clear. Um, the first time I saw Should Jaws... Should I stop sending you shark pictures? <laughs> the first time I saw Jaws, I remember walking home and I was scared. I was scared. I was terrified I, I, of my dad's pool growing up because I was like, you know, th- that filter. Is yeah. that a shark filtering filter? But like, I was scared walking home in the middle of the Alberta prairies. <laughs> like yeah. the shark would, what, was going to fall out of the sky or jump out of the lawn. Sharknado. And, tremors, and now that's a reality. Tremors realized that, though. That's essentially what they did. You have mm-hmm. to stay off of the ground. The floor is lava. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's interesting because that was actually, I believe, the premise that the guy, he was like out somewhere sitting on a rock and like what would happen if something just reached out and grabbed me Mm -hmm. you know and i think that that's a base terror that we have like you know in our beds you know if my toe is out something's gonna get (laughs) that toe you know like we're talking caveman (laughs) instinct i'm gonna get eaten by a thing you know that's that's it's terrifying um but yeah they played they played it out so well i mean they had a really nice um logical explanation for it you know I think they're Devonian creature sources, you know? <laughs> well, that's one of the great things about this movie. I know that Tremors isn't the first to do it, but I always sort of apply this as that this is the Tremors rule. Mm-hmm. If your premise is blatantly preposterous and ridiculous... Mm-hmm. I love the ludicrous nature of it, though. Don't try to explain it. Mm-hmm. There is one scene where a bunch of the townspeople are sort of positing what they think these things might be mm-hmm. and why they've suddenly just shown up out of the blue. But why does it matter? But at no point did they conclusively tell us. Mm-hmm. And you know what? First of all, why waste the time on that? And secondly, what explanation would we accept? Right? Mm-hmm. Because we're thrown into it with the characters, we have no choice, like the characters do, but to go with it. Mm-hmm. We don't know why there's suddenly these huge underground creatures eating you, but you better do something about <laughs> it, because they're going to fucking eat you. Is figuring it out <laughs> going to save you? Exactly. <laughs> you know? like it's, it's, Focus on what's important here. Well, it's interesting um, that you sort of make that comment about, like, there's the lack of exposition, and... I kind of thought that they were sort of like, oh, it's probably an old thing that's been around. Done. Yeah. That's it. Like that's all we need to know. Um, Quentin Tarantino has done it in some of his films where he just chops out giant parts of exposition because he realizes that they're not needed. Yeah. Um, if someone asks you why, you know, why something is so, I can tell them. But does it need yeah. to be in the movie? Right. It's obviously aliens. Mm. You know, in a lot of these movies, that is logic. That is like the actual reason. And I like that because you're supposed to have like this element of fan- fantasy. And especially when it comes to things like terror. Why is it terrifying? Because it is. It's yeah. a terrifying thing, you know. Um, you can't reason with it either. I mean, and I think that that, it's just, it's coming at you. It's coming at you. That's... Big points to the screenplay. They definitely seem to know, you know well, like I talk about the balance of the comedy and the horror, but like... How I love does... black humor, though, and I think that they're about, they could die, but you know, they're like... They set up things. This whole stampede thing mm-hmm. that is threaded throughout the movie that works into the climax of the movie. I never felt like they were leading up to something. They were setting this up. But mm-hmm. they clearly were. It was clearly implanted in the screenplay. As dumb as all the characters are, in a way there's a lot of smart stuff in the, screen, in the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And I think the button scene that for me sort of nails down the brilliance of the movie. In the way I talked about the blood scene and, and the thing sort of boxes in the greatness of that movie in one Mm -hmm. scene there's a scene where uh they've been given horses to try and get out of town and as they're riding away the horse gets attacked that they're riding gets attacked by the snake and they realize that's why we haven't seen the creature it's under the ground it's made real and having lost their mounts they have no choice but to run Mm -hmm. and out of sheer desperation they run towards a culvert and try to jump across it 
And out of complete luck, mm-hmm. not skill, yep. complete luck, they found a way to deal with the creature. Because the creature, although it could dig it like crazy through the wood, once it hit that concrete embankment mm-hmm. at top speed, Rock. smashed itself <laughs> dead. I remember watching this in the theater, and when Kevin Bacon turned around and he looked and he saw the blood pouring out of the concrete and that limp head sort of flopped oh, down yeah. on the ground and all that so slime, gross. and By he the points way, at it effects. and he screams and he says, fuck you! I swear to God, I was almost on my feet in the theater. I was so in love with that <laughs> movie at that point. That's was, the only swear in the film, too. That's the only F word. Yeah, they, they can get away with one. You're allowed yeah. one. <laughs> um, but it was... <laughs> That's one. It was wonderful. And, like, uh, it was scary and it was hilarious simultaneously. It was relieving. Right? It was relieving, <laughs> yeah. And you totally were with them on that. And I think that's why I like... When the survivalists there, you got your Michael Gross and your Reba McIntyre, and they're yeah. just like, let's deal with this, yeah. you know, like that attitude. The, We're going to do what we can with what we have. That's a microcosm of what we talked about in Predator, too. They are people who believe there's no situation they can't handle, mm-hmm. right? And they're set up as badass. And they, it's surprisingly positive. <laughs> yeah, they they come back from you know doing their search for the creatures, completely befuddled that they can't find any evidence. They know something's killing people. And they've got their weapons, and they get a call from town. And Reba looks out the window, and she sees that everybody in town is on the roof of their house. Mm -hmm. And she's like, dude, something is up. And And they uh, have their cartridge polisher going, and the the shots that cut to it are, again, this is where it comes, like, down to suspense for me. They're doing everything wrong, and and they don't know it. It's beautiful, because, like, it has this sort of, like, close-up of the cartridge shaking, and this is when you figured out that, like, it's the noises and the vibrations, and that's what they're trying to, like, get on the roof, they go to sound, and they're like, what? I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Oh, that was so well done. the brilliance of that sequence is, in any other horror movie, Mm-hmm. That's the scene where the gummers get killed, right? Yeah. They, they cut, the creature breaks through the wall. Everybody like their name is, is almost Gunners. I yeah. like that. <laughs> they, the creature breaks through the wall. They cut to everybody in town looking really, like, crushed. Mm-hmm. And they, you hear in the distance, crack, crack of all these gunfires. And you're expecting that the gunfire will stop and that will be it. But no, they cut back into the <laughs> rec room, and the two guys have, like, the, the survivalists have a wall full of guns, mm-hmm. and they proceed to blow the shit out of this creature. I have such ladywood for that scene, yeah, because it's, it was just, they, they were prepared, triumphant yeah. from it. And it, like I say, in any other movie, those two people died. That was, that was their last scene, mm-hmm. right? But no, they they and they're an asset to the group. Yeah, <laughs> Keaton's rule. <laughs> yeah, I no, just... I, I I agree with that because what I like about it is it shows their determination. Like they're survivalists; they're prepared for the worst. Yeah. And then the worst happens. They're like, "Well, get buckle up." <laughs> like that's the whole attitude. There's that wonderful line he has when they're actually leaving the town. He's like, "We got." Water and dry food for three years, you know, <laughs> yeah. geographic isolation, weapons and firepower to, uh, you know, hold off an entire battalion. And what are we set against? Underground goddamn monster. <laughs> it's just like, it's not fair. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I thought that was so cool because, I mean, again, like you're saying land sharks, you know, right? or as I like to call them, the sand penis. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just, it's such an absurd premise and they made it work i mean it was it was so successful like we were talking like five movies or something and yes this is the best i mean the originals to me are pretty much always the best uh but i mean it became iconic it's it's 
Well, I mean, Dune even has, like, the sandworms, right? You yeah. know, sort of thing. I mean, like, it's it's something that we're terrified of it. It doesn't even exist. Yeah. And we're so terrified of it that it's it's shown up in other things. Like, it's shown up in the science fiction genre, and it's shown up, well, I guess this is kind of science fiction yeah. but it's, like, action adventure western. This is basically yeah. a western it's, with uh, a sandstorm. Everything's in the stew here. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It's scary. It's got you know monster movie effects. One of the last great sort of monster movies before CGI took oh, over everything. Yeah. Um, there is a little bit of CGI in the movie when you see it drifting over in the sand here and there, but the actual creature itself is something made physically by artists and puppeteers. I know? so respect that, and I, I really miss that about just how we've moved to CGI. And yes, it's gotten better and stuff. I mean, like I said, the host. I actually, I thought that that was quite well done, but. For this, the building of the props and stuff, like how real it looked. Giving Even the when actors they're... something to work with other than what am I looking at here? Let's pretend. Yeah. It's a ball and a stick. It's trying to eat you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the fact that like when they're unearthing it, how real it looked. It had that heft to it. And when they crack that thing open and they're like, oh, the smell. Like you could practically smell it yourself. <laughs> like the realism was there. And I, I mean, like as somebody that's always loved spe- like special effects work yeah. and wondering how they made it. It, that was never really a question for me. It was almost like, yeah, they just went out and they got a sandworm. <laughs> you know, like that's what it looked like. It looks so real, and like the gore and the grossness to it, and like even like the armored head. Like it was so thought out. It was very well thought out and very well put together. It was a tangible bad guy. Uh, one little fun fact here before we move on. I should move on soon, but uh, Ariana Richards is in this movie. She's a little blonde girl on the pogo stick. Um, right. She's always uh, bouncing up and down on the concrete, and as we've learned, that's like ringing the dinner bell for it. But <laughs> interestingly, three years later from this, she would be defending herself from dinosaurs in uh, Jurassic Park. Sort of feels like that Tremors was her little like training ground to prepare her. <laughs> She was going to spend lots of time working with creature features. <laughs> Running away from... Um, but uh, a very effective child actress. Uh, when she was scared, I believed her. And, oh, for uh, sure. Uh, I, I loved everybody in this movie. Victor Wong, we didn't really mention him. He's Walter. Uh, Walter, who runs yeah. the, the convenience store. Who you know? named them Graboids. Yeah. Because it's just, it's, again, absurd premise and stuff like that. So what name? And they, that's what they call them. They, yeah. It became, like, it's called a graboid. But he's a weirdly stereotypical character in a way. Like, he's like this, uh, he's like a Chinese store owner. And he's sort of, like, Vietnamese. always got a Vietnamese store <laughs> owner, pardon me, who uh, is always playing an angle. And, and you know, in a way, he's sort of like one of these irritating characters. And yet, you know what when it erupts on the floor and grabs him, you're like, no, oh, yeah. not Walter. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it, 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 he made it a meaty character. Yeah. I think it was it was very much kind of one dimensional. It's like you know the Oriental storekeeper, or yeah, whatever. That's what I was going for. But yeah, yeah he absolutely. I think he he made you care about him because yeah. you know, even when he's like trying to nickel and dime them, you know, throughout the beginning when it's sort of setting up who his character is. They care about him, and he cares about them, yeah. you know? And so I think that that's why there was an emotional impact when he died. So It's a smart, funny, scary, exciting mm-hmm. creature feature. I mean, I don't know what more you want. Five out of five sandworms. <laughs> I think I'm going to like camping. She looks not right. Well, what do you want to do? Turn it off. Get in the car. Pull over. Hello? Hello? 
sorry, I didn't. You. from the glass. The tracks us somehow. We gotta get out of this gas station. Wait, wait. Stop. Splinter actually owes a lot, I think in its concept anyway, to the thing. In that this creature seems sort of like a parasitic organism. But now, pokey. It's, it's not like the thing in that it can look like whatever it wants but whatever it takes, takes over, over it, it, it takes full possession of and uh, it'll take you a piece at a time it won't completely take over your body but if you get a few slivers of it in your arm it'll take over your arm you know and uh, once your body is dead that doesn't really change anything uh, a lot of what we're looking at the creature in this movie is basically mutilated human bodies being puppeted by a microorganism memorably there's a scene with a police officer's corpse being pu puppeted and just smashing her face repeatedly against the glass of this gas station um, that was that was some awesome gore <laughs> it's well and again well they centralized most of the action takes place in this one gas station and that's sort of where you can tell it was a low budget movie like the bulk of it will be one location and we have basically three actors for the most part mm -hmm. of the movie um again small cast isolated i thought they did well in that way with what they had she said cagely. It starts as a, basically a collision between two couples. There's, uh, you know, sort of a blandly cute, uh, happy, uh, almost annoyingly so couple. I'm squinting so hard at you right now because <laughs> yeah. they grated on my nerves. Well, they're just so perfect uh. and happy and in love with each other and nothing bad will ever were they, happen to they them. Were, they were being antagonistic, I thought. The guy was a dick. He, he was a dick. He was clearly going camping to please her. She liked camping, he didn't, and he was... He was sort of whining about it, but they oh, were charmed with each other. Um, they meet another couple uh, who are on the wrong side of the law. and who, What a meet-cute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, who take them hostage, and they end up at a gas station. When they show up there, no one's mining the till, and uh, they end up being locked inside the store. One of them is struck down, and uh, the other three are locked inside, and again, forced to work together to deal with this adversary. A lot of familiar elements here, but this was made for $5 by a group of friends, right? <laughs> and I think considering the restraints that they had making the movie, uh, it's pretty solid. Now, it's competing with some pretty solid movies here, so maybe it's in the company it's in is going to hurt it a little bit, but I think, for my money, as far as low-budget monster movies go, Splinter brought enough new to the table to be worthy of consideration. You know they called up each other excited when you bought this film because probably ten people bought this film. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a fan. I, uh, I, this is where I'm going to diverge wildly from our high-fiving and agreements over right. these movies. Because I, I didn't like the characters. I didn't care about them. I was, I was hoping they all died. Wow. I was waiting patiently for everyone to die. The girl, she's resourceful, but, you know, she has to put up with this guy. And then the guy is just being a dick constantly. And then even the bad guy turns out to be the sensitive soul. You know, I was like, oh, really? Really? It just, oh, it's so frustrating well, to watch it. And try, they're trying ahead. to make you care for these characters. And I couldn't. I'm I couldn't get it up for them. Go ahead and strongly disagree with that. But uh, that's okay. That's okay. This table's not going to flip itself. <laughs> that's right. We, we can fight this out. Okay, first of all, the original couple character, why I think it's interesting is because they've switched roles. 
typically it's the wife who's all, I don't know what to do. We should like try and get out of the, uh, she was the one who was trying to take care of control of the situation and be the alpha. And he was the one constantly like, I don't know what to do. We should just play ball with this guy. And, uh, in a way he was kind of playing for, to be in politic, the bitch role. Through the course of this, he kind of finds his strength. The other couple, the criminal couple, um, you get the feeling like he feels responsible for this terrible shape. Strung out girl. The, the, the shape that this girlfriend is in, and she's a total junkie and miserable and unhappy with her lot, he feels personally responsible for. And one of the first major events that happens, that basically ends the first act of the movie, is she is killed. Mm-hmm. And I think the transformation in his character comes from that. Now that he no longer has to look after her, and now that it's just himself... Um, the original impetus to get her escape and get her to a safe place is gone now. Mm-hmm. He's already lost. Basically, when she dies in a lot of way, I feel like he dies too. Because that's what all of this was for. I'll, was for I'll agree with that part there. <clears throat> and I think that what I disliked about it was at the end, all of a sudden, he had this, like, you know, validating reason, you know, to keep going. And he, he just wishes he could have righted this wrong. And I, it was heavy-handed. I thought, and badly done. And just too many broad strokes with, like, how are we going to make this a redeemable character? And I think if he was just a bad guy doing bad guy things, I would have liked him more. And I would have... You didn't need a journey for the character? I didn't. I didn't. I, like, I mean... It's a monster movie. It's meant to be about, you know, the gross stuff. And you're supposed to want to cheer for these people. But even anything that they did to endear you, like, these characters, they it didn't work on me, mm. I think, is, is sort of... And it made it frustrating for me to watch. <clears throat> I was cheering for the fungus. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the fungus. Because yeah. I haven't seen this creature before. Yeah. This is a new creature. And uh, I, I, I like I like it for that. I like that, like I say, it's a puppeted corpse. It's basically building itself out of the parts that it, that it grabs mm-hmm. hold of. Um, at first we see it within the police officer, but when it gets into that guy's arm, his arm actually bends backwards and snaps. That was so gross and so cool. I really liked that. And that's what I think I wanted to see more of. Not, you know, the body this... horror aspect, because it's in his arm and they actually end up having to amputate his arm. These... Which, that was a brilliant scene. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's low budget and stuff like that. I thought, the, especially with the buildup of, ah, do I want to do it? Ah, do I do it? Like, I liked that and so the, much. And the added step of having to break his arm first mm-hmm. so that they can cut the arm, right? Like it's just... Once they started looking at it sort of logically and how do we deal with this and how much do they want to survive, <laughs> that's when I actually started getting invested in it. And I was like, oh, oh would I be able to do that if I was in that situation? Yeah. Because it could happen, right? And I didn't think they were overly stupid about it. Like the guy <laughs> got too close to it and was like basically making a study of that little piece that got in the door. But they figured out it couldn't see them when they were in the cooler. And they <laughs> figured out, you know... They that... took a while to get to that though, yeah. I thought. And it took a while from... and they, you know, the, the little slivers that it shot out were sort of how it how it did its business like mm-hmm. they they work together to deal with it and sort of the fact that they are again it's sort of the night of the living dead conceit they're locked into this one space and forced to work together even if he didn't have that change in personality where he decided he no longer i don't think it was ever in the cards that he was going to kill these people i think he was you know taking their car and their money it was a mm-hmm. means to an end but uh i agree with that um, I just... but once he gets them into the situation he kind of owns it I mean, it's his fault. It's not his fault the creature's there, but it's his fault that they're in that particular location at that particular time. Um, Where I think it gets a little bit less convincing is the sort of big finish of the movie. 
it's troublesome because they've amputated the arm of one of the main characters and they don't have a lot of money. So uh, the main actor there, uh, his name being Shea Wingham, I hope I'm saying that right, you can see him in Boardwalk Empire and a really good movie called Take Shelter. I actually think he's a pretty solid actor. But in order to hide the fact that he doesn't have an arm, they start picking angles and there's a few pretty obvious scenes where it's either stuffed under his shirt or around his back. And <laughs> I don't know what the workaround was for that, but... They didn't convince me that he was missing an arm for that final thing. And it does have the unfortunate cliche of ending with a gigantic explosion. <laughs> and uh, That's was... in line, though, with the type of sort of bad guy it is, right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's pretty much indestructible. The yeah. And they're like, well, if it's some sort of organism, yeah. fire, bad, gonna kill it. Yeah. Um, however, they even kind of went about that stupidly. Like, with the whole part with the liquid and the, let's get this like, you know, a little puddle of fuel down and it can light. And that never came into play. See the door? When they were trying to reach for the... Yeah, they spent all this time building up to it to, like, funnel that that fuel through the door because, like, you know, if need be, we're going to we light burn. this. And and that never came into play Well, again. it came into play in that it made the gas station much more flammable when the explosion happened. <laughs> At the end, I thought that it was actually kind of... I don't like when things are led up to and then they just kind of disregarded it. And that's how it felt. It was the same thing with like to drop his body temperature and then, oh, he's freezing. Oh, he can barely move. And, so, and oh, oh, I have keys. You know, <laughs> you were about to kill yourself with cold and you didn't think keys would be important <laughs> or that you won't really be able to function, <laughs> you know, and but and I'm going to carry this ice. And again, that's where I was like, just die. Just die now, please. Yeah. Well, again, I'm not with you on, on the characterizations. I was I was not cheering for the monster in this movie. But while I will what I will concede to a limited degree, I guess, is that the later into the movie, the more familiar territory we come to. Uh, I hadn't seen that creature before, and I thought it was kind of an interesting reverse dynamic between the couple, that the guy was kind of the weaker of the two. And you don't see that as much. Um, but when you get to the end of the movie and, you know, the badass has a redemptive death blowing up the gas station and they drive away but it cuts to the side of the woods and lo and behold it's still alive none of that is a surprise mm -hmm. all of that i've seen before and it's kind of disappointing that we started somewhere that was new only to sort of end, end up somewhere familiar uh and that i will give it like i'll agree to a certain extent that that's a flaw but I think it's completely worth seeking out and completely worth watching. If you're into genre creature movies, this one stands out for being, I think, kind of original. And for that, I will endorse it. Again, low budget, absolutely. They were working within, like, you know, confines of what they had. But Ambitious considering, really. Uh, yeah, I thought it was ambitious. I like the idea of the gas station. Um, but for me, it was, even when you're saying, like, this couple and they have reversed roles... That just seemed too obvious. Not enough. Eh? Yeah, I mean, like, it was like, oh, well, it's a good thing she's handy. You know, like, it just, it seemed a little too much like it was winking at the audience that, well, look look at how we changed this. And it's, it's something that you liked. It's something that it just... it. So many times you encounter in movies people <clears throat> who are amazingly resourceful. Yeah. It's sort of like one of the things that scares me about really apocalyptic stories is that... You know, that's, I guess, my great fear, that especially like in sometime in the next 10 years, you know, the world's going to fall to shit through climate change or some solar event, and we're all going to be thrown back to the Stone Ages, and I'm not going to be able to survive, mm -hmm. because I'm not able to hunt squirrels and build a shelter and, you know, kill enough we're food We're not all Daryl Dixon. We're not Daryl Dixon. We're not Survivor Man. And uh, 
in movie land, everybody seems to be able to handle whatever's thrown at them. And I honestly find it refreshing, especially with male characters, to see a guy who is in a situation that overwhelms him. I know it's not as interesting from a story perspective, because yeah. those people tend to just turn and run. And for a plot point, you want people who stand and fight. But in the real world, people turn and run. <laughs> I like I like your angle on it. I think I hadn't really considered it that way. My frustration, though, is that he just was such a weeny, whiny character, and I don't really have time for that in my own life. So why would I spend the time watching it in a movie and cheering for him and hoping he lives? No, I want him to die. It's like if it was a zombie film, I would want his head to be under the biggest zombie pile getting chewed on. You know, like, because I would take pleasure in that. Okay. Give me a smile. Gino, are you sure we're going the right way? I've never been lost in my life. <laughs> There's only one way out of this chamber, and that's down the pipe. I'm stuck! I can't breathe! Okay, Sarah, you have to calm down. I'm coming, I'm coming back! Okay? Okay. <laughs> Okay, move! Now! Now! This is not good, guys. Can we get out of here? Which way? I don't know. Sarah, but she saw someone back So there. what? I don't think I saw someone. I saw someone! No, you heard something and you saw what you wanted to see. It's the dark. It plays tricks on people. So, uh... I think that a really cool double feature would be, if you're wanting like a creature feature or double feature night, uh, would be The Thing and The Descent. Because what you got here is basically a group of men stranded in the South Pole facing a really evil creature. Sausage fest. Yeah, and then you got a group of women, uh, British spelunkers underground in the Appalachian underground. Yeah, exactly. The taco party uh, versus a, a whole family of pissed off looking golem creatures uh, that are living in this cave. They were Nosferatu inspired, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is uh, The Descent, written and directed by Neil Marshall, who I am a fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, It's terrifying. (laughs) Oh my god. Scene for scene, it's a terrifying movie. There is not a lot of moments for levity because the screenplay doesn't allow for it. It's so heavy, yeah. But the great thing is, is by the time we get deep enough into this cave and deep enough into the story and the, the, the ordeal that these women go through, that we actually get to see our creatures. I've already been terrified just by the environment. These like narrow caves and columns that they're crawling through that we get to see where they can barely fit their bodies through. It's nauseating to just look at and think of that people would do this for recreation. <laughs> It was panicky to watch it, I have to agree. That claustrophobic nature, uh, oh. But it does have things that are very familiar. For instance, the first thing that happens in the movie is our main character, uh, played by Shauna McDonald, Sarah, loses her family. Mm -hmm. Her husband and her daughter are killed in a car accident. uh, Well, boom, it starts off tragic, you know? But that happens in so many horror movies. You get a lead protagonist who is licking their wounds from a very substantial wound. Typically their husband or wife has died or their child has died. And the the whole story is set upon that precipice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing really new or innovative about that. And the sort of inner dynamics, the working of the group of girls uh, and them getting lost in the underground and the sort of psychological deterioration, seen it before. 
And even the confrontation with these very guy in suit creatures. I love them, but they're <laughs> dudes in suits. All elements we've seen a lot of times before in horror movies. He uses things that we've seen many times before, and he terrifies us. There's doing it and doing it well. Yeah. And, like, you you have to know your game mm -hmm. to pull this off. And this movie is amazingly frightening, amazingly well acted. And, like I say, like, you are so geared up and tense before the shit hits the fan <laughs> that once it really goes up into that fifth gear... You're riding your chair like you're in an amusement park. At least I was. I will speak for me. Maybe I will not speak for you. But uh, I love the characters. I have this thing for accents. <laughs> so having a movie populated by penis? like... <laughs> yes, my penis has a thing for accents apparently. Having a movie that is just a bunch of, you know, very fit British ladies. <laughs> um, top uh, draw. Did it, did it for me. Yeah, it's very top. So yeah, I have... I'm foaming at the mouth over The Descent. Um, a year after this tragic event, which we opens the movie, her friends get together and decide to take her on this sort of adventure to try and sort of break her out of her cell. God, get over it. It's yeah, been it's a year since your family year, died. And blah, you blah. <laughs> um, it's complicated by this woman, Juno, who we learned through the plot. As I was actually having an affair with the husband who had died. Spoiler. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> um, but she lies about this trick. It's actually not a known cave system. It's a newly discovered cave system. Which blows my mind. Because she does it so that we could be closer. It was yeah. her logic. I lied to everyone. This is an uncharted cave. Yeah. It would strengthen our friendship. And by doing that, by mapping a cave and by telling people that they were going to this different location, she stranded them. Doom so us all. the second, really, that the cave caves in, in a way, it feels like they're all doomed because they're like, who knows if there's a way out of here or if they could live long enough to find a way out if there was one. The stakes of the survival situation are already high enough that they could sustain the movie. Because mm -hmm. that does happen not too far into the movie. And then the monsters show up. So... Dorian. Even then, it takes a while. <laughs> yeah. Where are you? I'm sorry. I feel like it took over there. Where are you on the descent? <laughs> well, I mean, it even takes a while to see the monsters, right? Mm -hmm. Again, which I thought just beautiful work done in creating suspense. Although, um, one thing I read uh, just before I came over here, actually, was I guess the director actually had one of the monsters in the back, a shadow, and he didn't tell the cast. So they're just la 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 and stuff and you see the shadow kind of move quickly in the background. So that's the actual first instance. And it's little nuggets like that that really, I think, put together a brilliant movie. And the shots like that where you're like not sure if you saw it or not. Mm -hmm. Well, even when the girl, she does see it, tells her friends and they don't believe her. Yeah. You know, like that, again, it comes to Your such... eyes do think, see things in the dark. And if you're in an already panicked situation and in a mm -hmm. cave full of shadows... But she knows she saw it and she's telling them and not being believed... Yeah. I, because I, she's you, crazy because she's wounded. Right? Yeah, and uh, that frustrates me. Like, I'm having trouble finding words because, like, <laughs> it angers me when that situation is, like, having your hands tied yeah. or something. I mean, like, and so I completely... This is a character I could... It's not even that you're on their side because Juno is deceitful. Yeah. Um, and But, I mean, like, they're just such human characters that I really was completely for all of them even when they're slowly dying or whatever well, i mean like i was Juno invested is responsible for dooming them but at the same time i mean she did made a lot of bad mistakes and did a lot of bad things but she's not like a cooper character i didn't completely hate juno yeah she probably deserved what happened to her but uh 
don't we all deserve a pickaxe <laughs> at one point yeah. or time and being eaten alive? But uh, it's like I understand. Like she genuinely wants to help her friend, but she also knows that she's hurt her and betrayed her friend, mm-hmm. and she can't deal with it. She doesn't know how to deal with it. Well, and she's and gone this about was obviously not the way. <laughs> yeah, well, she's gone about fixing it in such like you can tell that it makes sense to her. Yeah. Like I said earlier. Um, who decides that, you know, like, let's chart this unmapped cave together because then we can put our names on it. It's something we've achieved ourselves. That's not something I would ever do. I would not take you to a cave yeah. to strengthen our friendship. You get Maybe the to drop a body somewhere. Like the, <laughs> there's a motives. percentage of badassery to these ladies, though. Like when oh, we see for them, sure. They're, they're, she's driving, they're driving back from a whitewater rafting trip when we mm-hmm. first meet them. You get the idea that, you know, every year they try to do something a little bit scary and a little bit dangerous. Well, you get the sense they're adrenaline junkies. Yeah. I mean, they're constantly pushing each other, and it's this, like, band of women that that's what they do. And again, that ties in nicely with just sort of, like, you know, bookending it with the thing, or even Predator, you know, like, it's this group of people where they, these are the things they do. They accomplish it yeah. when they're together. And if it's like, we have to get our friend, pull her out of this funk, well, we do what we know. And so when Juno's, like, trying to get her back on her side and, like, you know, like, let's strengthen our friendship together, it's such a, not something I would ever do, but, I mean, like, it's so neat that that's, that's how, how, do I, how do I fix this? How do I put this back together? Yeah. You know, like, her friend is broken, so she's trying to solve the problem that way. Um, which I thought was really neat because you were saying like just the role reversal mm-hmm. in Splinter. Um, you could see this movie done with entirely men. Yeah. You wouldn't bat an eye at it. Like, you know, like eyelash at but it. But it's cool that it's women. I and like it is it. because it, even though I say that it could be done entirely with men, it still can't because it's written for women and you can tell that throughout the movie that it was meant to be women. They didn't just retrofit it. No, this was meant to be what it is. Yeah, and I just... Yeah, I don't think that you see that level of quality, especially in something like a horror movie, yeah. um, which it is. It's so terrifying. I mean, I watched the trailer just before I got here, and even just that tensed me up. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, because even when the like you know the thing's gonna jump out, yeah. and it jumps out, but you're tense to begin with. Paid for the whole seat, only needed the edge. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, they hold back for quite a bit. Like I say, it's over the halfway point. I think when you get a good look at what the adversary is, mm-hmm. and really only the last half an hour where there's substantial bloodletting. But when oh, I yeah, say substantial bloodletting, I mean they, lake of blood. They turn the taps on. It's fucked. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's a very gory movie. When that chick's hiding like in the blood and sort of comes up, oh, that was amazing. Yeah, I, I I didn't know what that was like. It, 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 I think it might have even been their, like, eating slash bathroom. Like, I don't know what the hell that slimy shit was that she was in. It was awful. Whatever it was. Um, yeah. Uh, but there is a percentage of gurgle to this movie. And um, people... I know there are people out there, strange though it may sound, who like horror movies but are turned off by high levels of violence. Mm-hmm. And if you are one of those, this movie will cause some problems. Oh, for sure. Um, just because it's a bunch of ladies going down in the caves doesn't mean that they're all going to end, you know, holding hands and smiling at the end of this movie. Thank God we made it out together. Yeah. Sisterhood. In Rainbow. fact, that's what I want to actually talk about, getting towards the end of the movie. Um, Brutal gore and... I sometimes shy away, like shy away from that. Yeah, I shy away from it because sometimes it's just it's gratuitous and there's no point to it. It felt like everything needed to be there, but this everything just seemed quite calculated, and 
it just made for a better from like even just with the pickaxe to the leg yeah you see her decide to do it yeah basically and it's it's necessary to the to how the movie plays out a familiar template that I've been seeing more and more actually in horror movies in the last 10 years or so is the sort of death by human error, the accidental death. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> After the first major attack by the creatures where the girls are fending them off, Juno is grabbed from behind by one of her friends after having just been attacked. And she spins around and inadvertently Stabs drives the uh, this, this pick through the throat of her friend. That's bad enough, but the this is sort of the crucial crux of Juno's character. Having done that, she's killed her friend, like her friend is dead. But in typical Juno fashion, she won't face it. Yeah. She walks away and lets her bleed out alone. At that point... She doesn't die at that point. The very least she could have done, though, is stay with her and be with her while she died, right? Or kill and, her. Or kill oh, her, right. which is I what, mean, what, Shana, what uh, Sarah ends up doing. And I think that it, it nicely sort of, you know, like they're counterpoints to each other in that way. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because the beginning, you know, with the affair, <laughs> you know, and then you're right, like not facing it and stuff like that. But just even how they deal with their friend's death. The other one like bashes her head in because... I gotta get it done. And it's the bookend it's, thing. It's the most humane thing to do. They actually, like, at the moment of the crash, all of the friends, as she collapses in the hospital upon realizing what happens, crowd around, uh, crowd around Sarah, except for Juno. Mm-hmm. Juno backs away, turns, and actually runs. And uh, that stays, that character flaw stays true to her end. That's sort of her, her fatal flaw in a lot of ways. Well, the fact that, like, it, it's such a mental game from the opening credits, yeah. essentially, like all the stuff she's gone through. I mean, her loss is such an emotional loss and it takes its mental toll on her. They're trying to, you know, bring their friendship together and put her back together by taking her to this cave, you know, and stuff. And then, but I mean, like, even that's a mental, you need a mental strength, like just to even go through the cave system. It's a terrifying film for a lot of people just because of the claustrophobia. Yeah. Like, you need to be mentally strong for that. But yeah, even just at the end, like she basically, she just snaps. And that makes so much sense. If the movie had ended with the other version where she got out of the cave and it ended with a jump scare, I would still be sitting here recommending the movie. But I would mm-hmm. also be saying, at the end, they kind of give you up. what you want instead of what I think makes the most sense to the screenplay. But I would still give it an enthusiastic thumbs up. With the ending as it is, and dismissing the sequel as just a cash grab that it can be forgotten, The Descent is just a fan-fucking-tastic creature feature. What about, like, are there other ways in? Are there, you know, like, the other people have gotten lost and eaten? Because these creatures have been down there for a long time. Somehow they're eating something. It's implied that they hunt on the surface, too. They find a mutilated deer when they're going towards the uh, cave system, right? So it makes, like, I figure, like, there's got to be other ways out, other ways in. But you had to find, like, this old splunking gear and, like, those people obviously died. I'm sure there was a way out, but how would they find it without a map? Exactly. Without living there and being those things that the crawlers that kind of, they could go anywhere um yeah i just i really liked that ending even though it left me feeling horrified <laughs> you know like oh god shit, there's no way to there's no recovery yeah there's no way to come back from that and then yeah to hear there was a second one like what if you were in that situation if you were already dealing with so many things on like this intense mental level yeah your brain it's gonna go to fantasy how like you know you're gonna die we're just gonna take a break yeah <laughs> we're gonna take a nice break with the and it was that emotional impact too of her daughter 
You know, like, actually seeing her daughter again, it was really jarring and really strong. Well, for me, it, it just sort of made sense because she was going to die anyways. You know, and so like she would be getting reunited with her daughter. Death is a reward at this point. Yeah, and I think that, that was like again, it's that emotional freaking impact that this entire movie did. Like it just carries you and. Like, my, my hands are a little fist right now, even just talking about it, you know. <laughs> so, so, definitely. So, we like the seeing, descent? Um, uh, definitely. Uh, well, your thumbs are up. <laughs> so. Okay, so we have reviewed six creature features, and this is the 43rd episode of Rank and Review. And it is your time, Dorian, to rank these movies from your least favorite to your favorite. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) It's exciting! Thank you so much for doing the show. I think that it went quite well, uh, even though we don't know how they rank yet. Uh, I'm getting a feeling like we're not going to go six for six, but... I'm panicked. I'm panicked, afraid, alone, at the bottom of a crevasse, <laughs> shivering, naked. Oh, sorry, that's my own poetry. <laughs> All right, yes. So uh, I don't. I agree that we're gonna disagree. <laughs> you agree that we'll disagree. Let's agree that we shall disagree. I don't uh, agree to that. <laughs> Name well, that film. What was your least favorite of these six movies, and why? Oh, I think you know it's gonna be Splinter. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just, for all the good that you saw in it, were kind of my bad. Right. Um, I love me some small independent films and whatnot, but I mean, even taking that into account, it couldn't save it for me. If, if I don't care about the characters, I don't want to spend the whole movie wanting them to all die. Yeah. And that's how I felt. And so it anything redeemable kind of it suffered because yeah. it just that was it was overwhelmingly um and uh then the next one just because it was confusing the host yeah um it seemed like it was trying to be six movies in one and for what it had going for it again didn't save the rest of it um again it could be language cultural barriers whatnot <coughs> but it's there were some really like cute parts to it, like you know, like the little girl saving. I don't know if you call that cute, Aww. but just the fact that she oh, look at her dying to save that child. That's she adorable. Died saving a smaller, even slightly <laughs> cuter child. <Pretty> much. <laughs> but yeah, it was just that is adorable, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and after that, I'm gonna go Predator. Like I said, it's one of my favorite films, but in in sort of with these within the, these six. It's constantly sort of commented on this film as it's a thin plot. Yeah. But I mean, it it was Rocky versus E.T. was how this movie got made. That's how it was pitched. That <laughs> oh, was, really? That's you didn't know that? No. And again, like sort of the winking, the whole, yeah. Yeah, these muscles, these pecs are going to destroy. Again, partially why I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that compared to just um, how the next ones just sort of had meteor, meteor content. Right. Then I would go Tremors, because Tremors had kind of everything that makes it... It was it was the comedy aspect, you know, the unexpected comedy 
And if you look just even at it, it's got like this giant, you know, set of teeth. Creature thing, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's meant to be terrifying. But then it had you laughing along with it. And I really liked the characters. They were quite fleshed out. If a character makes you laugh, it's like the shortest journey to make you like them, right? Oh, and almost yes. everybody makes you laugh or smile before the shit hits the fan. So exactly. It, it, the stakes are there and the comedy is there. So. And then The Thing. The Thing has my heart. And maybe that's just because Kurt Russell. <laughs> he he so can wear good. a beard, can't he? <laughs> oh my god. I do like me some beard. <laughs> I'm working on it. Working on it. <laughs> you're getting there. You're getting there. But yeah, he's just... So good in what he does, and just the pairing with John Carpenter. I think they have similar <laughs> visions for how something's supposed to come across, and it just was so effective in doing that. Um, definitely one of my favorite films, and really, I think that this was actually the reason why I chose this pack. Yeah. Was because I was like, yeah, I'll watch the thing again. I haven't seen that in years. And it's still good. And it was, yeah. It time. holds up frame for frame today in 2015. It does. And a lot of these other ones, they're showing their age. Yeah. Um, although Tremors, like I said, I could even see that happening today with bad cell phone service and stuff. That pretty much all of that could happen step for step. But yeah, definitely the top out of this six is The Descent. Because you don't see it coming, even though you see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everybody's seen the thing, and not everybody's seen the descent. And everybody needs to see the descent. Uh, I get it. When, I get it. Yeah. I, I don't. As I drop it. <laughs> right. Descent now, descent. You um, like it so much, you're just going to drop it like a mic. <laughs> Done. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Explosions. Um, yeah, like, I hadn't heard of it before. Really? I hadn't heard about it. It's And then I looked fantastic. it up, and there was just rave reviews everywhere. And that really worried me, actually. because yeah. Built up too much? If things are oversold to me... I still haven't seen Titanic, because it was oversold to me. Dead serious. If yeah. something's oversold, I will do everything in my power to avoid it. Well, I'm not going to oversell the Titanic to you. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I can go see it. Um, <laughs> I want to watch it again, but I don't. Like yeah. it, it terrified me that much. And so I have like the most physical reaction to all the movies to the descent i think that's why it has to be number one yeah. because it it it's got everything well i love introducing people to the descent I, I have i've shown this to a lot of people who haven't seen it before and i haven't had anybody you mm -hmm. know say they didn't like it i've had a few people not like it as much as i and said i'm glad i watched it i will never fucking watch it again yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah that's it um we're pretty close actually in a lot of respects in this list but no prizes are going to be given today. Uh, I actually put the host in sixth place. I'm going to drop a caveat, though. I think that if you like creature features or horror movies enough to listen to this podcast about creature features, mm -hmm. all of these movies, if you haven't watched any of these, put it on your to-do list. Mm -hmm. Larry's going to say that. Uh, for me, I put the host on the bottom, but I'm saying it's at the bottom of a very strong list of movies as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. It's uh, got to get ranked. Yeah. So uh, there it is. Uh, it's at the bottom. Check it out. You're, you're not going to see a movie like it. It is very original. Like uh, I, <laughs> Check it out. Yeah. Original usually gives extra points for Larry, but in a way, because it was original scene by scene instead of yeah. just all by <laughs> itself, it, it kind of got a little bit Let's distracting. string this together. I have... Seven unfinished manuscripts. <laughs> Let's yeah. just tie them together. Yeah. Splinter is the one movie that we disagreed about, but I don't think we disagreed a, like vehemently. No, we're not going to lose our friendship over this. I'm going <laughs> to throw it out on the street and drive over it. So that, no, no, <laughs> it's mine. You can't have it. Um, 
I, like I say, have my own personal biases I bring into it. I like originality, and I have a lot of respect for people who don't have a lot of money and do an ambitious horror movie, you know? You need to get your hate on. Yeah. You have to embrace the hate. I don't hate Splinter. Now we're going to get more into the same page. I put Predator in fourth place, and it actually hurt me. To put Predator did, yeah. in fourth place. It's on the bottom half of the list. It just doesn't seem right. Um, and uh, maybe like this placement and the placement of Tremors could flip-flop a little bit. But for the, me... Yeah. I almost did the same thing. Predator turns into the creature feature at almost the halfway point of the movie. And I think that's what made me bring it back to the fourth position or, uh, behind Tremors. Because uh, really the movie really kicks in after that first attack on the camp. And they take the prisoner and they're working their way back to the to it's the almost helicopter. like two different films though like yeah. i said right like and that second film they're both good films but the mm-hmm. second film is way better than the first i think and even more painful actually is the fact that tremors is number three right <laughs> but i love tremors so much i really 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 do and maybe if you know you weren't a teenager in the 90s it's not going to hit you in that exact same way that it hit me but i have a positive memory of watching it for the first time just randomly with my dad and uh re-watching it was delightful and i think one of the reasons that you and i really agree on what an awesome film it is is because we have similar senses of humor yeah and so even just like how that was interlaced throughout the film was just so beautifully done (laughs) that it's like, God, this is such a weird film that I'm laughing throughout it and then somebody got sucked into the ground. They find, like, that decapitated head and and they're like, oh, murderer! And just the creature itself is really, really, like, we hadn't seen a creature like that. And I haven't really seen a creature like that since. I mean, sequels notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, I, I love Tremor so much. I wish I could put it at number one. But it would be dishonest. Mm -hmm. I put The Descent in second place. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Um, I love me some Neil Marshall. I really do. And I do think this is his high watermark. And really, like, it's only because I consider the thing, like, the best thing that Carpenter did. And that it went unsung for so long. And, like, Mm -hmm. it's just got so much about it that was, like groundbreaking and that it 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 earned its place you know in horror history but descent is a straight-up classic as well Mm -hmm. and like i said when we did the review i think it would be a delicious double feature actually the (laughs) thing in the descent uh you know maybe you wouldn't sleep well that night uh, um, (laughs) yeah that's true Neil Marshall made a permanent fan out of me, you know, with this movie. Um, he's been doing a lot of episodes of Game of Thrones these days, and I kind of want him to get back to doing feature films. But um, I will I will watch anything that he produces, even if he drops a few stinkers. The fact that he made The Descent earns, you know, earns him a place that I will watch his next movie. And uh, I don't say that about You hear that, Marshall? This movie saved you! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. But the thing, man, uh, I think that it's the special effects and that memory I have of a child of that dog in that kennel that just is just, it, it lives in some corner of my brain at all times. It's just there, you know. Feeling your night terrors. <laughs> I'm a dog person, too. I just love the shit about, uh, of dogs. Like, I'm, yeah, they're such shit. great, they're such great creatures they're man's best friends they they love you in a way that cats just don't <laughs> you know they, they love be... you with the same energy yeah. that cats hate you <laughs> yeah. 
cats may be like self-reliant and they'll, you know, you don't have to potty train them and they'll bath themselves. But, you know, you leave the house for 10 minutes and come back and the dog takes you home from the war. <laughs> like, you just love you so goddamn much. And that level of horrible violence put on those dogs really, really sort of traumatized me. And the practical effects that Rob Bottin did are just... Like I said, mm -hmm. the movie was made in the early <laughs> 80s, and, like, it looks great today. Other there's a scene early in the movie where uh, Kurt Russell's playing a computer chess game, and it's, like, one of the few things in the movie that looks really bad and dated. But for the most part, like, if this movie came out today, you'd almost believe it. Yeah. And I couldn't think of a bigger compliment to pay the movie, really. <laughs> I read an interview with uh, John Carpenter, and uh, he said that he really wanted to make a movie talking about the thing, obviously, where the creature wasn't just a guy in a suit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, he even, <laughs> talked about, he even talked about Alien, as fantastic a creature feature as Alien is. At the end of the day, it was still a dude in a suit, right? Predator. A and Predator's a dude in the suit. The things in the descent mm -hmm. are dude in the suit. This creature is whatever it needs to be from scene to scene, and it looks photoreal to us. Mm-hmm. Well, just even that scene with the blood. Yeah. How you mentioned. The blood itself jumped it's its out and thing, screamed. It's yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, yeah, there's so much going on in this movie. I had to put it at number one. I'm afraid I can't, can't give you a prize <laughs> this time, but if you come back again and we match six for six or we match zero for six, you might come away with a prize. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Uh, thank you so much. A little Dorian. ominous on what it could be. <laughs> yeah, Horror well, film you, stuff. You Here's a prize. Is it a bucket of blood? Yeah. Is it a bucket of blood? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, not fake blood either. <laughs> That's easy. I assume. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to uh, plug to the people on the interwebs? I know you're involved with uh, the burlesque sh group in town, and uh, you're constantly doing shows. Is there anything you wanna you wanna pitch or any? You got a website where people can see your schnoobs or something? <laughs> Define <laughs> schnoobs. <laughs> You can't just make up words and assume that I know. I mean, it's, uh, it sounds rotund. <laughs> There's two of them, and they're several inches above your taco. <laughs> Buns? <laughs> Buns? Terrible. Well, I don't really have anything to pitch. I haven't worked with a... We thought we'd start and end with sexism in this episode. That was important. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of love in the garage right now. Thank you so much, Dorian. Uh, there was nothing you wanted to plug? You're good that way? Uh, no. I just... Let me drop this mic. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> and that was Creature Features 2 with the always charming Dorian Brady. And I really hope that she comes back for another episode, because I personally had a blast with that one. Um, I hope you did as well, and I hope you have some feedback to give me, because if so, you can write me at rankandreview at gmail.com. There is, of course, the Facebook page, and there's the iTunes page, where you can download the podcast and you can leave a review. And if you leave a four- or five-star review, that's very helpful for me finding new listeners, and I would, I would really appreciate it. Until next time, you guys, this is your host, and random Canadian Larry Parsons saying thank you so much for listening to Rankin Review.